0: Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You're listening to a new episode of the CyBeat Podcast, where your host, award-winning author and cybercrime journalist, Deb Radcliffe, interviews hackers, coders, intelligence experts, agents, officers, cybersecurity pros, and other interesting harbingers, heroes, and warriors. These conversations are sure to get you thinking. Knowledge is power, now more than ever.
1: Hello, I'm Deb Radcliffe, host of SciBeat. Thanks for joining. In this show, we're talking with Andrew Strutt, who has extensive field experience supporting battlefield and electronic war fighting operations and critical infrastructure for US and UK armed services. He's also a hacker at heart bringing to the table his social engineering, phone freaking, and other dark skills. He's been involved in the DEF CON Hacker Conference since its inception as an organizer and a speaker, among many other things he's done for that conference. He is also co-founder of Telefreak.org and administrator of the 2600 IRC and Facebook page. In this podcast, we'll learn about Andrew's experiences, especially how his hacking and social engineering skills, social engineering, sorry, skills, uh, support his defense work and vice versa. Hi, Andrew.
2: Hi. Hey. hey, it's really good to be here, Deb. And I'm happy to support you and everything that you do. I'm a big fan of your work. And uh, there's very few reporters that some of us can trust to talk to. And you're one of them that I feel welcome and and trustworthy to to talk to and spend the time here so great to be here thank you
1: thanks off the record means off the record you know what i mean but i have made one hacker mad the guy who invented metasploit apparently i misquoted him when i was a newbie reporter and he has never forgiven me for it so i've done my best but not perfect Okay, so into our questions. Um, my first question, and I'm sure everyone else's, is, is: What is it like to actually be a hacker working for military and defense operations?
2: Well, it can be it can be very complex in some ways, but otherwise, it's it's pretty simple in the sense that we're there to do a job. We're cybersecurity practitioners, and all sorts of uh, uh, variations. Um, some are more involved on the offensive side, and some are more involved on the defensive side. For myself, um, I found it very challenging when I got into the defense industry. Um, It was difficult for me to get my cybersecurity credentials in the sense of getting my security clearance. I had certifications, I had all the experience in the industry and whatnot, but then working for the DOD um, with zero criminal history, sometimes it's still a a long and drawn out process to be able to, to get a security clearance. So there's some challenges in that sense. Um, I've always used my um, my skills for good, even the social engineering part portions of it um, it's it's for me it's about networking and building teams and bringing people together from diverse backgrounds to work on very complex and uh, national security problems so um, there a long long time ago there was an article um, and it was something like, um, bridging the gap between cybersecurity defense with hackers or something like that. And so that was my first exposure to that. And DOD was not happy about me being able to talk about that. Um, And I didn't talk about anything sensitive. All I said is I worked with DARPA and I worked with satellite imagery, geo-intelligence, human intelligence, all these different stuff. And they said, oh no, you can't say that. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, actually everyone puts this on their LinkedIn, everyone talks about what their job is. I'm not saying anything operationally specific and so on. So it's certainly doable. Um, it does have some challenges. It does have some things that uh, people need to be aware of. There are some gotchas, um, but we can have um, a, a big impact on on national security, a big impact for our, our country's safety and, and our partner's safety, our ally's safety. So.
1: so you brought some hackers into your work with you then? You're not the only hacker that's done support for the DOD and other uh, agencies like
2: that no that's one thing yes absolutely one thing that I did is I I kind of dispelled some of the myths amongst some of my circles about what it's like working for DoD working for DARPA mm-hmm. um, what what the what it takes to get a security clearance some people thought oh well I had this problem 15 years ago I'll never get a security clearance etc but there are ways to, to get through the process even if you've had a less than perfect Boy Scout or boy Girl Scout, uh, history, you know, background. Uh-huh. Um, um, so I, I did. I tried to recruit and bring people in to build teams that worked with us. Absolutely. Um, I would also find the the ones that were secretly hackers already in the organization and fleshing <laughs> in it out and be like, hey, I've seen you at a conference. I've seen you at the makerspace. I've seen, you know, and then uh-huh. draw them and saying, hey, no, you have some valuable skills. Don't be afraid to let other people know about those because we can leverage those. So, For me, it's about building the teams and dispelling some of the uh, some of the myths or some of the problems that people have getting into that industry, because it's certainly worth it. A lot of valuable projects, a lot of cool things to work on out there.
1: So I have that in my third book of my hacker trilogy, which is the one that you guys are looking at to the left of my head. and they needed help with a major, yes, ransomware uh, grit, uh, problem. And the uh, side the lead character, brings in a bunch of hackers to help break the crypto. So, uh, and I said, this isn't a new thing. NSA has been doing this forever. And, you know, because I know you guys. If I didn't know you guys, I wouldn't know what to put there. But, um, yeah. Okay. So, you and I, we met at a very early DevCon. I'm terrible with long distance memories. But I remember you were pretty young back then. My assumption when I met you was you started hacking when you were like two. And You know, uh, I'm wondering if you could actually, you know, you were even back then you were super smart and secretive. I couldn't talk to you about your real career. I could only talk to you about your hacking stuff back then. And um, I was hoping you could sort of give us a background of, you know, how you became a hacker and some of your involvement and maybe some of your um uh, monumental moments as a hacker because you've won like social engineering challenges and other things. So I'm hoping you can sort of uh give us five minute sound bite here on, the, on sure,
2: the sure. Well I appreciate that. Thank you. Um it, it's a it's a long complex history and I'm the same way. Sometimes those distant memories are hard to connect. I do remember us meeting very early at DEF CONs. Uh, I think my first DEF CON was DEF CON 10. I want to say so it's been a long time but going back really far as a kid i never thought of myself as as a hacker or whatnot i was interested in electronics i was interested in radios and computers uh, my first computer was a commodore vic 20
0: mm-hmm.
2: with the with audio cassette tape drive um, i was very early into bulletin board systems um, and that's kind of like my my introduction to the underground or the underground world of the internet or before the internet was bulletin board systems Admittedly, I I did my fair share of um, stealing long distance so I could get to other bulletin board systems around the world and so I could get the software and the data that I wanted and so on. Um, But as a kid, I remember as an early teenager, I want to say maybe 13 or 14, right before I learned how to drive, that's how I can remember the era, I was reading 26 magazine and I never thought of myself as a hacker. I ran a bulletin board system called the Anthrax BBS, which later on became the Happy Bastard BBS, which I ran in the 916 area code for many, many years. Uh, but I remember reading that magazine, always thinking that like, I was totally on the outside, never really thought of myself as a hacker, right? So many years, um, I got into several different industries. At one point, I, I thought about becoming a, a sheriff or California Highway Patrol. Uh, mm-hmm. But when my mom took ill with cancer, she told me, she's like, look, I just would really worry about you if you go down that path in your career. You're really good with computers, but I always thought of it as just that as a hobby, just something I fooled around with, right? Uh-huh. So on my mom's advice, I went back to work as um as tech support for an old dial-up provider. No. Yeah, and how I got that job was I, I showed up for a job interview, and he basically just handed me a book for free BSD, and he said, if you can install this and configure this to be a dial-up server and a web server, I'll give you the job. So I came back the next day with my laptop, my Toshiba 420 CDS, which was a Pentium 100 with 32 meg- megabytes of RAM. and I had. I wonder how BSD.
1: much that thing weighed.
2: <laughs> I actually still had it. I actually oh still God. had it. Yeah, so um, I got the job. I ended up doing tech support. Years on, I just stayed in the industry. I mostly uh, migrated towards telecommunications, um, providing uh, telephone services, long distance services, and data centers uh, for businesses. And that's where I really cut my teeth in the in the in the uh, anti um, uh, fraud world, long distance fraud world. Because I already knew how to do it. I was doing it as a kid. That's 15 years prior. So me being able to leverage that. Kind of gray hat black hat mentality for the, the 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 budding cell phone industry the budding telecommunications industry well not budding um but that's how i kind of got into that was um but yeah early days it started like with bulletin board systems hosting those um it wasn't until many years later when i, I actually was part owner of an internet service provider and it's a whole other long story but i actually never thought of myself as a hacker until i was raided you know, and they kicked oh, in my... Yeah. I didn't even know you were raided. Go yeah. on. Tell. You know, I have zero criminal history. Nothing ever came out of it. That's what's so okay. funny, right? So, um, but that's what started my foray. Well, tell I us fought.
1: about the raid. I want a little more it, detail.
2: So a little more detail on that was that um, me and a partner of mine had helped build an internet provider with a couple partners. Um, the The business was starting to fall apart. We made a bid to buy out those other partners and run with the ISP ourselves. We wanted to split off the other business business divisions and just run the ISP and data center. Um, the owner at the time, I had a memorandum of understanding, memorandum of agreement, stating that he would negotiate with us for buy-sell agreement, which I had a contract drawn up. I had money in escrow from my mm-hmm. grandfather and other investors. He went to the police and said I was extorting him. Oh my gosh. Yep. So they immediately kick in my door, they go through all the stuff, and they're like, "Hey, we're going to get you on software piracy." And I was like, "Well, no, I have all the receipts. I own all the software. Uh, they told me that I was stealing the data, stealing customers. I was like, "No, they're my customers. I have a buy sell agreement on the table. I have a memorandum agreement with the owner or the CEO of the company. Um, and let me see your warrant, otherwise you can get the F out of my house. Do so- you have a warrant?
1: Nope. Oh, and they kicked so, in the door without a warrant?
2: Without a warrant. They did a no-knock warrant, a no-knock um, entry into my house. Um, at the time, they also said that I was one of the most dangerous hackers they ever met because, <laughs> because I had weapons. You know, I'm a hunter. I'm an avid marksman. I shoot. I shoot competitively, all these different things. Um, you know, 99% of the time, yeah, I, I, I carry Wow. so you know um i'm also an instructor i train um i shoot competitively all these different things so anyways long well, those are the
1: people with guns you trust the most the ones who instruct are the best and by the way i'm still if we ever get in the same state i want some of your deer meat
2: oh absolutely absolutely and we can we can talk a little bit more about that but yeah i got a defense attorney who was very good he met with the da uh, a week later and he said look they got nothing on you That's why they didn't have a warrant. They only have to produce a warrant if they're going to charge you with anything, and they're not going to charge you with anything. So a year to the day, I got all my stuff back because that was the statute of limitations that I could sue them or go after them. And I was so distraught from the whole process of the whole thing. I just got my stuff and I moved on. Um, This is how we started the old radio show, which which I think we had on the radio show, the, The Usual Suspects. Yeah, is that For a long time after that, in the Sacramento Valley, I was treated as the usual suspect.
1: Oh. If anything
2: like that went down in the valley, in the Bay Area, Sacramento Valley, Placer County, Sacramento County, they would come rouse me up. They'd sit outside my door. They'd go to my workplace. They'd come meet me at lunch. And so I was, being a ham radio guy, being a radio guy, I was listening to all their conversations on scanners. I was There's a whole bunch of other stuff I could talk about that. But anyways, they had nothing on me. But the only way I could get away from that pressure was to move. And so I moved from California to Las Vegas. So that was the whole thing about being raided. The other side point to that is that in Sacramento, there was a 2600 meeting that used to meet down at Birdcage Mall in Rancho Cordova. They were shut down and ran off. Right. So since they were harassing me and I'm a 2600 reader, I was like, well, shoot. If there's only if there's any people in this in this world who understand where I'm coming from or what I'm dealing with right now, it'd be hackers. So I turned to the 2600 community. I restarted the Sacramento 2600 meeting and I remember after I hosted a couple of those meetings, you know, they're monthly, I got a call from a detective saying, "Hey, I thought you said you weren't a hacker. We got you on pictures. We got pictures of you meeting with hackers at the 2600 meeting." And I was like, "Ah!" I was like, well, you treat me like a dirty hacker. I might as well be one. Oh, right
1: on. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and you know, a lot of our audience really doesn't know how historic 2600 was, but they were here when I was researching the Kevin Mitnick book, which is what got me into all of this. John Lippman's book called The Fugitive Game, the one that told the truth, because I did all the investigative reporting for that. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, you go so that group goes so far back and it's a significant group. I looked at the Facebook page that you administer. It's got 63000 members. Right. That's huge. So, OK, so I know a lot of this is secret and we're going to sort of switch from, you know, your hacker experience to your experience working for defense agencies as a contractor. And I'm wondering if you can share some of your aha moments, some of your coolest gigs. Uh, just give us a little taste for some of the excitement and flair that you had to you know, that you were dealing with while you were at and you still are doing some of this kind of work. So give us a quick background or a quick bring us into your experience. Okay.
2: well, I came to um, working in defense through someone I met through 2600. They made it. They gave me an invite, Basically, gave me an introduction. Um, I knew them from Hacker Circles. They mentored me quite a bit. Um, and they, they gave me an uh, introduction to an employer who was an Army defense contractor doing medical imaging and satellite communications for, for Army, for, for telemedicine and that sort of stuff. So that's how I first got in there. Um, from there, another introduction from a 2600 friend uh, got me into DARPA. So I went from U.S. Army medical imaging, telemedicine type stuff, and then I went to DARPA working on complex cyber problems for... Uh, special systems, uh, integrating systems with our uh, allied partners for Five Eyes, for UK, for stuff like that, um, which then gave me the opportunity to work for other uh, defense agencies such as uh, uh, the UK has the equivalent to DARPA, they call it DISTAL, Defense Science Technologies Laboratories. And when they were having some complex problems, I had been at DARPA for a number of years at that point, they put me on loan to DISTAL saying, hey, you got this complex, pr- complex problem? we got this guy who can help you fix it. So they sent me out to the UK for a few months or about two months. Um, and I and I worked on complex problems for them out there. So um, some of the most exciting challenges I got to deal with, um, were were a lot of the unknowns, where we were working with um, uh, the REF, the Rapid Equipment Force, which was we were coining the term and pushing the ability to be able to update software and hardware within 48 hours with a warfighter. So from Washington, DC at DARPA in Arlington, Virginia, we could push code, test code, and then get it deployed out to the warfighter within 48 hours um, or less. And so we were pushing that, we were working on those types of projects, One of the things that I worked on was called Tiger, tactical intelligence gathering and reporting. Basically, it was um, a Google Maps on steroids for soldiers, right? So Google Maps, you know, we all knew it and whatnot, but like uh, the military never had anything like that. And we were able to integrate Tiger with the UK's stuff called Sydney. Uh, It was also integrated with uh, uh, CPOC, which is Command Outpost of the Future. Uh, But one of the most neatest things was that I got really excited about was that we integrated all those platforms into the JCR, the Joint Capabilities Release, which was actually a Linux machine that runs in all the Humvees, all the tanks, all the helicopters, all of the mobile army assets, and it runs Linux. So DARPA was like, hey, we got a guy that knows Linux really well. So I helped run the interoperability lab, and that gave me an opportunity to really leverage some of my other skills um, for multiple operating systems, hydrogenous environments, um, stuff like that. Um, the whole point I got in defense was to support the warfighter. I like being out, not necessarily on the front lines. I'm not a door kicker. I'm not a trigger puller. You know, those those guys and girls have their job and whatnot. I'm usually the guy in the rear with the gear, you know. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I support them directly as much as possible. I wanted to be in the field. I, ho- I wholly wanted to, de- to deploy. Um, DARPA kept locking me up in the laboratory with their complex problems Uh, I had great gear, unlimited budget I had all the cool toys I wanted to work with and all my stuff I was pushing was going to the warfighter out in the field but I wanted to be out there so I ended up switching jobs I ended up getting um, another gig with a defense contractor Um, I went to Iraq for almost a year and then I went to Afghanistan for a couple years so I'll tell Um, you a, a quick story about my first Aha uh-huh, or whoa, gotcha moment. Okay, so i had gone through all the deployment stuff. I, you know, had my clearance, got my medical clearing, got my my uh, seven day boot camp for deployment. You know, I got my weapon, my armor, I got all my gear, and I go to Afghanistan, right? And I, and I'd already been to Iraq, so I had a taste of it, um, but it was different in, in Afghanistan, different AO, so on. So when I got there, I go to Kabul, or I'm sorry, Kandahar, and I met this great a uh, captain who was also a contractor. She was reserves captain and she was a contractor. She was my boss. Um, uh, a, a young, short, blonde haired, very strong, uh, fit lady. And she was disciplined. If you screwed up, you're giving her pushups or you're running, you know, you had to do something to pay her back if you screwed up. But she taught me a lot about working in the battlefield out there in a cyber sense. We did all the paperwork, we did the scans, we did the auditing, we did incident response, we did forensics on devices that were battlefield pickups. Um, When people would bring unauthorized devices that some Russian guy gave them in the city, well, guess who got it? We would get it and we'd get to analyze it. So, but I remember going through all the training for, I wanna say a couple of weeks, I was in Kandahar and um, they had an opening at a base that there was no cyber personnel. They would always push us in at least one senior person in that region or at that base so that there'd be one authority when it came to cyber and forensics and all that kind of stuff, right? So I remember Christy, the captain, she's like, Mr. Strutt, I got a job for you. We normally don't do this, but since you know what you're doing, you have the maturity, you, you trained up so well, we're gonna send you out to Farah, okay? And I was like, oh, cool, Farah, you know, it's a big air base out on the way out, it's far from the action. And then also when I started talking about it with like some of my FBI friends or some of my other friends in the industry, they're like, hey, by the way, you're 100 miles away from ballistic missile range of Iran. So just 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 so you know. I was like, what? It's like, yeah, I ran, pops off. You're within ballistic, ballistic missile range in Farad. I was like, oh, that's comforting. You know, whatever. So, but I remember this moment where I chained up. I talked with the base manager. I talked with the base commander. I had some conference calls saying, hey, I'm coming up. I'm going to be your cyber guy, all these things. And then I remember when I packed up and they're taking me to the airport at, at Kanahar. It was a big air, air base. But they're taking me to the PAX terminal to drop me off. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and they're like, "Hey, you're gonna do fine. Don't worry about anything." And that was the first time I was like, Worried. Don't worry about it. What are we talking about?" <laughs> like, I, I remember sitting in the van as we're going to the airport, the pack terminal, and they're talking to, "Hey, Strutt you're gonna be fine. You know." And then when they said that, I was like, "What?" And then when I got out of the van and everyone's shaking hand, they good luck, stay in touch, and whatnot. And that's when Captain Christie, she said, "Good luck, Mr. Strutt and I was like, oh, F. What, <laughs> what, what am I getting into out there? Well, not, and that was a moment. Um, that was a moment. So um, I ended up going to Fra. I stayed there for about a year and a half. And then I got promoted to the senior IA for regional command capital, which is okay. a big deal because the capital had all the commanding generals. Um, my office was going to be across the hall from General Dunford, who is the commanding general for the whole forces out there. Oh. Um, I ended up doing cyber for him. So The interesting thing that another oh, gotcha moment is when I got to Farah, everyone was super hush hush about like anything that happened at that base cyber wise. So -hmm. like, I was looking at all the trouble tickets and asking the base base commander and the, and the uh, the site manager, like, Hey, what kind of problems do you have trying to get some history so I can battle plan and think about what I needed to do for that base. Mm -hmm. Everyone was like, Oh no, it's totally fine. Everything's fine. We don't have any problem. Well, I found out that that was not the case. The previous cyber guy that was there was fired for being the number one bandwidth consumer for all of Afghanistan for three oh. months. He I was wonder prepared. what he was doing. He was doing a reverse tunnel back to his house so he could pirate movies and steal stuff and then sell it on base.
1: Oh, smart guy, actually. <laughs> so you cleaned it all up for him and got everything running smoothly again?
2: Uh, I did. Long story short, what I ended up doing, honestly, it was you know I didn't mind you know a little piracy for the health and morale of our soldiers. Uh, yeah. There, right? So my brother and I got hardened hard drives, and we called them mules. Uh-huh. We got four mules, and it was like every two weeks I'd have a hard drive to come and go, and he would send me a bag full of Micro Center USB keys. You know, you know the type. Those cheap little USB keys we all got. Uh-huh. And I was I was giving those. I'd mark them on government property, all this stuff, and I would hand those out to soldiers. You know, the first deal I made was uh, uh the MoveCon guys who would do our escorts and whatnot. They wanted to watch Sons of Anarchy. Wow! So,
1: and you didn't charge for it because you're not nice. absolutely,
2: absolutely. <laughs> My brother bought all the, officially my brother bought all the DVDs and ripped them, put them on on the mules, mailed it out to me, I put it on USB keys and I gave it to all those guys that I was like their favorite person. So like I learned how to build some credibility with the base and the leadership and the users and the people that live there because I wasn't trying to get people busted. I was just trying to keep a cybersecurity safe. And
1: yeah, and show them that you understood that they need certain things out there. or They're gonna go nuts.
2: Yeah, and I also found, you know, other ways that I helped them is I got all the certifications and approvals that I could do removable media. Burning disks was a major issue. USB keys is a major issue. I found some of the soft units working in the area. They lost their guy, uh, for whatever reason, who could do that. So eventually they would come to me. They'd be like, hey, Mr. Strutt, you're the guy. Can you burn all these discs for us? Can you do the analysis? Can you, you know, I remember them bringing me a box of cell phones and the the equipment to analyze all the cell phones. And they're like, hey, our guy left. We don't know how to do this. Can you do this? We got to track down the guy that we know he's on these phones. We got to put this together. So working with contacts that I had at NSA, I got the the how-to document of how to run the gear. And I did Uh all the forensics on a couple hundred phones. Wow. Just track down the guy they're trying to track down. So, you know, I helped out anywhere I could because there was always major gaps. Soldiers were only there for about six to nine months. We were there constantly.
1: Mm-hmm. So we
2: had continuity to help the warfighter in between those gaps. Oh. Um, I didn't care if it wasn't my job. I used to hear that all the time overseas. Not my job. I'm not doing it. I didn't care. I had the clearance. I had the skills. I do not care. I'll do it. You know, whatever you need. Sure. sure. I was working 12, 15 hour days, six days a week. Sometimes seven days a week, I, I, I don't care, I just do the job. Well, so what else was there to do out there? Well, I mean, part of our, our normal day-to-day job was that we had tons of assets out there. Everyone had a phone, three computers, either two or three phones on their, on their desk, three computers for each network, a printer, and all the associated switches and routers and satellite gear, wireless gear, all this stuff. So we were responsible for maintaining the security and integrity of that systems, all those information systems. So scanning, uh, anytime someone needed accounts, we'd do all the strategic stuff, all the paperwork, um, all the backend work, verifying their clearance, verifying their cat card, making sure they had the right access to what stuff they needed to so that they could just do their job. You know, they come out there to do a job. Half the time, a soldier would sit at a desk. The other half of the time, they're out there fighting the war. So... Part of that job was just keeping all the phones ringing and keeping all the computers working and keeping those secure. Uh, we found that we had uh, our networks infiltrated numerous times. And so part of that was also tracking down hackers within the network, either wow. uh, homebrew networks uh, or homebrew insider threats, you know, mm-hmm. like the one that was fired before I got the phone <laughs> got mm-hmm. to the um, or ones that were external that were um, using um Using our assets, for example, our interpreter cells, our informant cells and whatnot, using those guys and girls to infiltrate our networks. For example, uh, some of our adversaries were, were creating uh, um, unique malware, not necessarily high-tech malware, but malware tailored for the operation or tailored for the mission. And they would give it to the interpreters to interpret, who would interpret that disk, burn the disk, make a copy of it infect their computer and then they would send that to us to take into a base and hopefully plug into our computers so that was something that i worked on was helping track down a a a group of informants or a group of uh, interpreters unbeknownst to them that they're being used as pawns to try to get malware into our networks
1: wow so many fronts that you were fighting against at the same time all in cyber that's insane um I wanted to ask you my final question. A while ago, you posted on the 2600 Facebook feed, quote, I should be in one of your books, unquote. So if I were to cast you as a character in my hacker trilogy or future books, what would that
2: character be? Well, I gotta say it's, it's a, that's the, the question that I've thought the longest about because I'm not quite sure how to answer that one. I think I'm a mix between um, James Bond's Q, the quartermaster guy who who provides all the gear and knows all the tech and knows all the methodologies and so on. But then on the other side of me, I'm also kind of the social engineer and I can be the face man. I can put the suit on. I can look good. I can sweet talk people and, you know, get in the door and so on. So kind of a, a mix between those. You know, I definitely don't think of anything near like James Bond or anything like that. I love the movies, it's great stuff, right? But, you know, I think it takes two sides. You know, we've learned a lot in cyber that soft skills are more important than a lot of your hard skills. Being a people person, having some empathy for the customer, empathy for the mission, um, and being able to work with a, a diverse background of teams. Um, that is all soft skills that that, that get you way further in your career than um, being able to drop zero days all day long. You know, like, sure, that's great and that works really well. But if you're just really mean and no one wants to work with you, like, you're not going to go very far. So so the best answer to your question is, is, is kind of a, a mix between the two. You know, the people guy, the face guy, who's personable. Um, one of the things I did good when I was at DARPA is a lot of the developers and whatnot never wanted to go to the meetings and brief leadership on what they were working on but I understood what they were working on. I knew the code. I knew all the challenges and whatnot. So I was like, hey, I'll put together a briefing. You guys give me the nod on the slides and then I'll go to the meeting. And so you guys can keep pounding away on code and I'll go rub elbows and take all the heat and, and hear all the complaints. So you guys don't have to, you know, you keep cranking out code and I'll go deal with management leadership and um, and so on. And I can bring the bad news too. I, I, I hate being a yes man. Um, And I try to delicately bring people up to speed as to where their risks are. You know, and that's important. It's just mitigating risk. It's not a matter of if you're going to get hacked, it's when. So understanding those risks and being able to react to them is what it really matters to. So I hope that answers your question. It
1: does. A little bit too, like I vision you in the rear with the gear too. So, you know, you're not just Q, you're Q running around with the electronic a field backpack on his back you know trying to support these major battlefield operations as well uh but a lot of it sounds like you were put in the office on the locations that you went to
2: yeah i i really enjoyed field deployments uh being out near the front lines or on the front lines with the soldiers um you know they got a job to do and uh, i wanted to support it the best i could you know um and that's that's how i ended up there um You know, I've always been kind of a hands-on guy. Um, I was also a volunteer firefighter for a number of years and also did that overseas just because there was a call-out. I'd been to fire school. I had the gear. uh, So I had my brother mail me all my gear, and I started volunteering, you know, even though I'm not necessarily officially a firefighter, but I'll volunteer. I'll go in there, and I'll help any way I can. And the deficiencies they had, they didn't have radios, so I fixed all their radios. They had trouble (laughs) with their trucks, and me and the mechanic spent long nights fixing the trucks. And the mechanic one night was like, but you're a tech guy. I didn't know you knew how to wrench. And I was like, well, you know, you just learn these things. You just do what you can do, you know? Like, um, yeah. So, yeah, I uh, same thing when it comes to hunting. I like all the high-tech gadgets and stuff like that. But um, the gadgets will only get you so far. You still need those, those skills. Um, yes. And that's uh, one thing that I've been working on, kind of my side project, is hunting hackers. You know, I had a career of hunting hackers and whatnot. And I found that there's this big overlap between all the skills and methodologies and philosophies that may be good at hunting hackers that also makes me a good hunter. And mm-hmm. I found that going after prey or going after a target is generally the same. Whether you're going after cyber bad guys or going after some some prey so that you can put meat on your table and feed your family, you mm-hmm. know, is, is almost the same thing. It's just, you know, yeah.
1: I like to make the distinction that most hackers are actually explorers. It's hunting cyber criminals that you're really doing now because you have fellow hackers that are gray hats and maybe even some black hats, but they're not monetizing off of crime. They're exploring. And there is a big difference there because that's what you've always done. Um, I really want to thank you for your time. It was fun re-getting to know you after not talking to you for so many years. We've definitely got to stay in better touch. I want to thank you again for being here. Is there any final words you want to say in our last minute we have left
2: here? I just want to say thank you for having me. Um, One of my early projects that I got involved in was the 2600 IRC network. It's very old school. I like the old protocols. IRC was the second protocol invented for the internet i believe it was smtp and then irc or was it it was telnet smtp and then irc so i host the irc network uh for many years now that's how i got involved and then created the facebook group uh to promote that so please join us on irc at irc.2600.net and um, that's that's it. Buy magazine. Buy breaking ba- backbones. You know, buy a book for for Deb. Uh, absolutely, big supporter, and I'm I'm happy to support all your work, and I really appreciate the time to to have me on here. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate having you here too.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Psybeat Podcast with Deb Radcliffe part of the ITSP Magazine podcast network. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then share this channel and ITSPmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.